want to thank our worship team for leading us and preparing our hearts to hear the word. It's great to be able to sing songs that speak of and communicate the word and pray that you've noticed that. And now we are ready to, to dig into it today. So take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16. Actually, Acts 15 and 16. All right, everybody's adjusting and settling in. I can hear it, the rattling and the shuffling. All right, everybody ready? So you see there the title of this message. How do, you, how do we respond to change? I, was, uh, I told someone that was the title of my message this week, and uh, their response was sort of funny. He said, you might be hitting a little too close to home there. So a uh, little tongue-in-cheek, but we, uh, that, that title is so true in the sense that there is just an automatic thought process and our mind immediately gets engaged when we ask this question, how do we respond to change? Because uh, the, the, the answers are really infinite depending on what we are facing, what we are experiencing in our lives. How do we respond to change? I'm not going to have you raise your hands today, but I would dare say that at least half of you don't like change. Just on average, right? <laughs> the chuckles, maybe more than half because I heard a lot of chuckles and smiles and, and that's okay. I wrote this thought down as I was thinking through this, this whole mindset of how we respond to change. I said some are opposed to change all the time. It doesn't matter what kind of change it is. Some are opposed to it. It doesn't matter. It's just we're opposed. While all are opposed to change some of the time. So where do you find yourself? When it comes to change on any level, in your own life personally, uh, in, in the world as a whole, in the, in the world in which you, your circle of, of influence uh, Do you like change? Do you like to see things moving in a certain direction or just going in a different direction? Or do you find yourself liking what is? Again, depending on what it is, you may be saying, well, I like change on this area, but not on on other areas. I mean, it does really come down to what kind of change is it? Is it a positive change or is it Is it something that's negative? Is it something that's unwelcomed? Because there's both. If if I were uh, Oprah up here today, which uh, I'm I'm not for a number of reasons, but but if I were Oprah, remember you probably watched Oprah from time to time, and every once in a while, Oprah, along with others, but she has been known to in her audience give away prizes to everybody in the audience. Now, if I was Oprah today, and I said, "Hey, just so you know." 
everybody gets a brand new car today if you came to church. Yeah. Yeah. See, see when, when certain changes occur, you welcome them, right? Certain changes are good. Of course, all joking aside, there, there are many changes that are negative, that are unwelcomed and unwanted, and we would, we would honestly do anything or give up a lot to, to avoid certain changes in our life. Health problems. Children going astray. Marriages dissolving. The death of a loved one. We would be willing to do almost anything for those changes not to occur. Or to get back what we once had. So this is a very serious and challenging subject to cover. How do we respond to changes in our life? Let me just say this. Change is necessary, and it's an unavoidable fact of life. In fact, we begin to change the moment that we are conceived And it never stops. We understand also that change isn't always good. We've talked about that, but we live in a sin-filled world and our sinful natures bring much of the negative change upon ourselves. And we are affected negatively by other people that sin and then we get the the wake of that, the, the impact and effect of their sin in our life. How do we respond when these changes come at us, whether good or bad? I think a great comfort for Christians is that the Lord promises change. In fact, you could easily go as far as to say that He is in the business of change. He changes lives. That is why He he created us. That is why He came to redeem us. He is in the business of change. He wants to change you. He wants to change me. And so I ask the second question now, not just how do we respond to change, but why are we so resistant to healthy change? I I get why we're resistant to the the sin-filled negative changes that no one would want or welcome. I get that. And we should resist those changes. And we should pursue godliness and righteousness. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But why are we so resistant to healthy change where God wants to do great things in our lives? I tried to answer this in my own mind. And why, why for me personally do... Why am I resistant to healthy change in my own life? There's probably a lot of things that I could say, but the first thing that I wrote down for myself is, I'm resistant to healthy change because I'm comfortable with who I am and what I like. I'm comfortable with the known. I'm uncomfortable with the unknown. We like the predictability of our lives, don't we? Our lives don't have to be great. They don't have to be the best, but at least they're okay and they're not as bad as some. And so we settle for the predictable, the known. We settle for that and we're comfortable with that. But what if we miss out 
on God's best because we're settling for something less. Because we're resistant to healthy change in our life. So I want us to connect to this one thought, and you'll see this in your notes as we begin today. Change is inevitable. But how we respond is the difference between missing or embracing God's best. Now that's serious. That's the key to to really enjoying life. We must embrace healthy change so that we don't miss God's best for our lives. Now, I am not standing up here today and trying to say uh, something specific other than what God has to say to us in His Word, but I do trust that the Spirit of God would already begin to work in our hearts and remind us of areas that He has been working on us maybe for years and years, and now today He brings it up again. And He says, I want you to be open to me changing this area in your life. Would you be willing? Would you let me? See, God is a gracious God, and He is not a God that forces His own will upon His creation in the sense that He has given us a will of our own to say no, even if it means rejecting His best, even if it means rejecting His Son. So with all this in our thoughts and minds, I want us to take this question and this idea and this concept of change to this passage here in Acts 15 and 16. And what I think we see in these verses is a lot of change. And how should we respond to it? So let's look at this passage starting in Acts 15 and verse 36. And I'm going to read through verse 10 of chapter 16. Would you just follow along as I read? After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16 and verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra and A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been delivered, decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Verse 5, So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. 
And passing through Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia who was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There's a lot of change that takes place in that account. And uh, let's just prayerfully ask God to, to say what He needs to say to us today. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank You for Your Word now. We are so grateful for how You are so good at taking any portion of Scripture and speaking to us as individuals right where we're at in the things that we're facing. And so we trust that You will accomplish and do that once again today. Pray that You would have the freedom to work in our hearts, that our ears and eyes and hearts would be open to listen to Your Spirit convicting and comforting and encouraging, challenging us in areas of change. God, would You simply and most powerfully accomplish what You have designed to accomplish in each of us and in the life of this church. And Lord, we pray that all these things and everything that we look at today would bring You honor and glory, and so we commit to Your care. In Jesus' name, Amen. So change is inevitable. How we respond to it, is the difference between missing and embracing God's best. So how do we respond to change in such a way that we can embrace God's best? Well, I want to cover four areas today in our time remaining. Hopefully we can get through them. But I want to start in verse 36 and understand that if change is going to be embraced for God's best to occur, we must understand that personnel will change, but we need to keep working. Personnel, those that are with us, those that are around us, sometimes those individuals will change, but we must keep working. So we pick it up here in verse 36 through verse 41 of chapter 15, and what we see at the end of this chapter is, is a very, hopefully, a familiar story to most of you. At the end of the, the first missionary journey, they had spent potentially maybe even a couple of years there in Antioch ministering to the people there. So I don't believe that it was just a very quick time frame because remember they went up to Jerusalem, they had the Jerusalem council, they went back and they spent many days there uh, edifying and encouraging and teaching the believers once again. And then after some days it says Paul and Barnabas, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back. Whatever the time frame, that's not important. What is important is this event that takes place where Paul and Barnabas split up. Now, all of you, as you think about just what that looks like, you understand that when you read a passage like this, a lot of times our minds go to events in our own life where, where there was some type of a disagreement and friendships were disintegrated or you separated and you went in a different direction. And, and we don't like that. And that's not something that we would welcome. And yet it is part of life. Let me just say this right off the bat. I don't believe that Paul or Barnabas were in the wrong. 
some people would disagree on that, and that's fine, but I, I think this was one of the cases where, where ultimately God's sovereign plan was unfolding, and there was much to, to be uh, done through this splitting up and through this change. I believe that we look at this change in a positive way. Personnel, our co-workers will change, but we must keep working. We must keep persevering. So we see in verse 37, very clearly, Paul wanted to, to go and, and go back and, and visit the churches that they had ministered to in the first missionary journey. And notice verse 37, Barnabas responded, he wanted to take John Mark. Well, remember, John Mark was with them on the first, first missionary journey, and early on in that journey, he deserted them and he went back home. He didn't continue on, and that left a bad taste in Paul's mouth, and rightly so. In Acts 13 and verse 13, Mark left them. I want you to note something about verse 37. Barnabas, that word wanted there in the Greek, it, it means to to set his will. He was set in his way. There was no argument. There was no compromise. There was no debate. Now, this is sort of interesting. I could see Paul acting this way, and, and he did overall in this passage, but it's interesting that Luke wrote down that Barnabas was set. His mind, his will was set. I want John Mark. We need to welcome him back, Paul. We need to include him again. We need to forgive him and say, let's give him another chance. That's what Barnabas, I think, intent was. Well, Mark did receive that second chance, just not the way that Barnabas had initially wanted. Notice verse 39, there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and and I don't think that this part, verse 39, was necessarily, um, again, without being there and understanding all the circumstance, I, I can't say whether they were sinning or not, but when you see someone with such a sharp disagreement and there is conflict, no one wants that. No one likes that where, where it's just so, so difficult, sharp. Not just a disagreement, not just a a different opinion, sharp disagreement. They decided to separate. And in so doing, we see that Barnabas took John Mark with him and they sailed away to Cyprus. Now, we don't know. Acts and Luke does not give an account of what Barnabas and Mark did, but, but if it was Barnabas' desire to include Mark in the ministry again, my assumption is that Barnabas and Mark went there and they ministered and they served the Lord and they shared the gospel with those people. But now here's a great change. There's a great shift in the focus. And Paul, by the grace of God, he wasn't stopped by this. This did not interfere with what God had planned for him to do. Now, maybe the enemy wanted, hey, if I can get them to argue and to disagree and to separate, then I'll stop this whole event from moving forward. And yet, not at all was the case. Paul chose Silas. Remember, Silas was with uh, Judas. Uh, some of the, the men that, as we talked about last week, came from Jerusalem. 
to, to minister, to communicate the decision that was made. And Silas proved himself, continued to prove himself. And Paul chose Silas. Hey, why don't you come with me on this second missionary journey? And so we see two missionary teams coming from one. Again, we don't know much about Barnabas and John Mark, but we know very much about Paul and Silas. And so this is the accounting, the shifting, the change that is occurring now. What can we learn from that? God has a way of taking what we would consider difficult times, unwelcomed events in our lives, and using them for His glory and this, what we will see unfolding as we continue to read on, is exactly the case. God used a negative, what we would perceive as a negative event for His glory and honor. Does God want to use the negative events in your life to bring about glory and honor for Him? To draw people to Himself? To draw you closer to Himself? Of course He does. Has God done that in your life? He has. Some of us, we, we need to go back and think, well, if I really start to think about maybe some events in my life and to see, yeah, I didn't like that and I would change that if I could, but God used it in a way to draw me closer to Himself and He used it for His glory. I think we all have stories about circumstances like that. Relationships will change. Co-workers will change. Personnel will change. But we must keep working. We must continue on because God still wants to do a great work. Just a little side note. John Mark not only was given a second chance by Barnabas here, but later on towards the end of Paul's life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul says to Timothy, Hey, when you come and, and meet me, why don't you bring John Mark with you? He's useful to me. You see, John Mark got a second chance to minister to Paul and with Paul. I think one of the things that we often forget is that uh, John Mark, being a young man that had failed at different times in his life, uh, he was, by God's grace, the human author of the second gospel of the New Testament. Here he is, someone that initially deserted, initially ran, for whatever the reasons were, in, in the human mind failed, and yet God said, nope, I'm not done with you. i got a lot for you to do. No matter what you have gone through in your life, no matter how many times you have failed, God wants to use you. God can still use you for His glory. He did that in John Mark's life. Well, there's another way that we respond that embraces God's best. And that is to understand that perceptions need to change. So be willing. Personnel, yes, will change, and so we need to keep working. But perceptions need to change, and so be willing to let those perceptions change. So now we jump into chapter 16 in verse 1 and we see the beginning of this missionary journey that really starts back in verse 40 where Silas and Paul were committed to the ministry of the Lord by the, the brethren in Antioch and they sent them away and they started there in Syria and Cilicia to strengthen the churches. And notice verse, verse six, uh, 1 of chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra and a disciple there was named Timothy 
the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. Now, a couple things that I want us to note. In verse 1, notice where Paul went. He went to Derby and Lystra. Do you guys remember anything about what happened in, in Lystra and Derby? What happened? Someone tell me. Go back. Say it loud. What happened to Paul? He was stoned. He was stoned for sharing Christ. He was left for dead. Now, miraculously, he got up and he went on his way. But when you think about that, when you think about just this mindset, go back to a very traumatic event in your life. Would you want to go back and revisit that event again? Huh, hardly. When you're reminded of something traumatic, you don't want to go back there. You don't want to revisit that in a sense. And yet that is exactly what Paul did. And so I want us to note this in verse 1, that perceptions need to change, so be willing. And Paul was willing. His perception, maybe, maybe he never had the negative perception that he would not go back to Lystra and Derby, where those people once stoned him. They hated him so much that they were willing to kill him for his faith. And yet he loved them so much that he was willing to go back even if he got stoned again. You see, he was willing because instead of having the human perception, I'm never going back to those jerks. They can go to hell as far as I'm concerned. Now, that's a terrible thing to say. But in our humanness, that might be something that is tempting to go through our mind. You see, change must occur in our own hearts, and it clearly did in Paul's, where he forgave them and loved those that hated him. He went back with physical scars from his stoning. He went back with emotional scars from his stoning, and yet he went back because he loved them. You see, his perception, his perspective on on what God had called him to was the right perspective. It needed to change from what humanly he could have reacted to, and he was willing. He was willing to love them for Christ's sake. So he went back to Lystra and Derby, And as he went back, secondly, notice, there was a man named Timothy, a young man. Most likely, Timothy came to know Christ on that first missionary journey. His mother was saved. He was saved. His grandmother, as we read in, in 1 and 2 Timothy, was a believer as well. Most likely, as the description here is, his father was a Greek. Not simply just that he was of Greek origin, but most likely that he wasn't a believer. Perceptions need to change, so be willing to change them, not only in forgiving, like Paul, but accepting of Timothy's. We need to be accepting of Timothy's. Timothy was young. Timothy was... Uh, what some would call a Samaritan. He was a half-breed. He wasn't uh, what you would call pure stock by any stretch. We need to be accepting of those that are different than us. Paul was accepting of Timothy. He was young. He was half-Jew. He was half-Greek. But notice also it says about Timothy that he was well-spoken of. They respected him. 
accepting of Timothys in our life. Maybe they're young. Maybe they're immature. Maybe they're inexperienced. But if we want to be used of God, then we must embrace change and we must change our perceptions about what we think about people. What we assume about people like Timothy. And Timothy could be anybody in our lives. It doesn't have to be just a young person. It could just be anybody that we have a preconceived idea of what they are and so we pigeonhole them without really trusting God to say God can still use that person and I'm going to give them grace for God to use that person. Perceptions need to change so we must be willing. Notice verse 3 as well. Paul wanted this man, Timothy, to go with him. And so he took Timothy and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So this was a confusing uh, verse as I was reading through this. And maybe it is, is confusing to you because you would think that because of the Jerusalem council and the things that they decided there and the Judaizers, how they wanted to put all these rules and laws that that led a person to being saved or was part of salvation that that Paul in no way would uh, ask Timothy, this person that was saved by faith in Christ, to now be circumcised. And yet that's exactly what Paul did. Why? Let me just say this. I don't believe based upon the whole of Scripture that, that in any way Paul was communicating that Timothy needed to be circumcised to to be saved or to communicate that he was saved. I don't think it had anything to do with salvation, and most commentators agree with that as well. One of the commentators said this, it wasn't a matter of salvation at all. It was an issue of not offending another's conscience and becoming all things to all men in order to win some. And so Paul's idea and his thought process is, here I am a Jew, Silas is a Jew, Timothy is half Jew, but he's never been circumcised. And so the people that we are going to first, and as we read on, often what they would do is they would go into the synagogue first and they would try and reach the Jews. And then, remember, they're going into areas that were all filled with Gentiles, Greeks of of varying sorts, but, but they would always go to the Jew first. And if they were going to have any role and any effective impact ministering to the Jews, they didn't want anything that would be a stumbling block to those people. And so we see the concept here of salvation is by faith in Christ alone. That is already for sure and certain. But I am not going to do anything in my life, whether it's not being circumcised or eating uh, meat that, that was sacrificed to idols or whatever it may be. I don't want to do anything that would cause a another person that hasn't come to faith in Christ to be tripped up in such a way that that is a major roadblock between them and Christ. And so perceptions need to change, so be willing to consider other people's conscience. Are we willing to consider other people's conscience? That's what I think Paul is doing here. He was considering those who he was going to minister to, and he said, I don't want Timothy in any way to be a hindrance. And so Timothy was willing to be circumcised. Another change. 
Well, the change continues in verse 4. Notice what it says. And as they were passing through the cities and delivering the decrees that had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So right there, we see the, the reminder of this great change that took place. The change of chapter 15 of the decision that it was faith alone in Christ, not obedience to the law that saved you. And as they were going through all these churches, they were communicating this decree. Why does that demonstrate change? Because it was a major change. It was a major decision, a specific directive. And Paul and Silas and now Timothy and all the other co-workers were being submissive to the new directive. They embraced change. Fifthly, this perception is reflected in verse 5. Notice what it says. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. So what's there? What's a, what's a perception that needs to be changed that we need to be willing to embrace? Do you notice that phrase there at the end of verse 5? I don't know what your version says. Mine says, and, and these churches were increasing in number every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. It doesn't say that. The churches were increasing in number. That means that they weren't adding to the membership roles of, hey, did you go through the membership class? And did you sign up? And did you pay your dues? Not that kind of stuff. We don't have dues here, by the way. Um, it has nothing to do with that kind of membership. This Luke is communicating that, that these churches were being added to daily, just like in the previous accounts of people coming to faith in Christ. And Luke says that they were increasing daily. Daily. So what kind of a perception needs to change in our minds, in the body of Christ? Can I just say it? We need to stop thinking that the gospel should only be pre presented and communicated, that people only get saved when they come through the doors of a church and walk down an aisle during an altar call. Maybe we need to have a, a, an altar call every once in a while. I'm not against that. But what I'm saying is, Biblically, we need to change our perception of what we have concocted in our own minds that people only get saved when they come to church and hear the gospel when the pastor presents it. Maybe that's when you were saved. Praise God. But how many of you were saved in your home when someone loved you enough to tell you about Jesus? How many of you were saved when you heard a, a gospel message from a coworker or a friend talking in maybe in their backyard or something. You see, we must accept and be willing to change our mindset in this regard that the gospel must be communicated on a daily basis, not a Sunday morning basis only. Are you willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Are you willing to tell others about Christ crucified? Are you willing to communicate what God has done in your own heart to a world that desperately needs to hear about Christ? So 
So as we think about these misconceptions and these perceptions that need to change, and so we need to be willing to change these perceptions, whatever they may be, forgiving and loving others that have hurt you, being accepting of those that are different than you, being considerate of people's conscience and giving them grace, being submissive to leadership and the directives that the Lord clearly uh, leads the church to go in. And most importantly, believing that the gospel is effective every day of the week, not just on Sunday mornings. What preconceived perceptions do you have that are hindering God's work? We all have them. The question is, do we really know the answer to that question? What is the preconceived perceptions that, that I have in my own mind that are hindering God's work. Most likely, you don't know. So are you willing to pray to God to ask Him to reveal those blind spots? To say, God, would you show me what what I'm doing in my mindset and maybe what I've been raised to believe or what I've been comfortable with in my life? Things that are hindering your work. These perceptions that really need to change. What needs to change, God? Would you show me? And can I just say that? this: If you're not willing to change what He shows you, then He's probably not going to tell you. He may. And He may tell you and tell you and tell you until you finally give in. But I think there are some times that God is not willing to tell us what needs to change until He knows that our heart is willing to respond in obedience to what He says. And so we need to change our heart. Well, there's a lot more here and there is no more time. And so we're going to pick it up there next Sunday because I want us to take our time with this subject of how do we respond to change. But as we close today, I would just ask that you would prayerfully just be willing to think about and just ask that tough question, God, what changes do you want to make in my own heart? that I have maybe been unwilling to change. Can I just say maybe it is something very specific that there, is, there are sin issues, there are things that God doesn't want in your life anymore, and He has told you once or twice or a thousand times, and now He is saying it once again, I want you to change, and I want you to be willing to let me change you. Healthy change is good. Healthy change is God's best. Are we willing to embrace it? for God's glory. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for just this tough subject. And Lord, help us to see the realities of it in our own life and areas that we are resistant to allowing you to do what you want to do. God, would you would you just accomplish what you've been desiring to accomplish all along and that you would draw us close to yourself and that we would trust you that you are a good God and that if you ask us to step out in faith and to step out and and allow you to make changes in our life or in the life of this church that we can trust you for the results even when the waters look high and we We fear that we may drown. We trust you, God.
So I pray that you would help us by your Spirit to embrace godly change, healthy change, change that is led by your Spirit. For your glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen.